July 8th, 2019. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 214 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician is saxophonist, multi-instrumentalist, all-around good dude, Jeff Tobias. Let's have a listen. That's Jeff playing uh, in a tunnel in Central Park, solo alto saxophone. Sounds fantastic. Today on the show, Jeff Tobias. Hey, uh, thanks to people that reached out to me in response to what I said last week at the top of the show about trying to fill some dates for this tour I'm doing with Toby Driver. Thank you. Not only does it uh, feel good to have people express interest, but I'm, I'm glad to know people are listening. I never know what this thing, you know. It's been years now that I've been doing this. And in a way, I kind of have lost a sense of perspective on if anyone's actually listening to this, uh, how many, you know, what, what, the, what the relevance of this podcast is. And so when I, when I speak directly to you guys and I hear back pretty quickly and, and enthusiastically, it means a lot to me. Uh, so thank you. Thank you also to those of you who have signed up for the Patreon recently. Uh, if you are enjoying this show, the way you can show some support is by going to patreon.com slash 5049podcast and becoming a monthly donor. Five bucks a month. In exchange, I, I give access to the full archive of this show, which is 115 episodes of conversation that aren't available anywhere but that archive. Uh, moreover, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to engage more with Patreon and, and, and send stuff out to you guys with um, some frequency, more frequency, greater frequency uh, of, of special treats. So, for instance, last week I posted the second conversation uh, that I had with Ava Mendoza uh, to Patreon subscribers. I went ahead and sent a link to the original conversation. And, you know, I've been sending some mixtapes, stuff like that. So, so if you're enjoying this show and you want to, to show some support and even engage uh, with me a little bit outside of the platform of iTunes over on Patreon, uh, I don't even know if I'm a real person anymore. I feel like I'm sort of this, like, wispy spirit inhabiting just, you know, a couple of machines and, like, social media platforms. Am I... St- anyway, uh, do that. Go to patreon.com slash 5049podcast. Um, and we're going to talk more about that in a second as I, I start talking about who's on the show today. Do you guys know Jeff Tobias? My suspicion is that uh, many of you listening right now are listening because you know Jeff and you're interested. And I'm guessing some of you uh, are maybe unfamiliar with him. I've known Jeff probably for about 10 years. Not, not very well. Uh, our, our encounters with one another have always, you know, been pretty infrequent and, and not lasting too long, but Jeff and I share personal history that mirrors each other really closely. It's a little bit eerie in a way. And, and, and you, you'll, I'll, I'll explain that. And as you listen to today's episode, I'll, I'll tell you guys, the listener, I'm really all over the place right now. I apologize, but I've mentioned this before. 
when I have these conversations, uh, sometimes it's very difficult for me to, when I'm navigating the conversation with an awareness that this conversation is intended for listeners who are in fact listeners and not participants in the conversation, I have an awareness that I need to sort of navigate and guide the conversation in a way that we're all on the same page. At the same time, there's plenty of, of, of moments where the conversation is going in, in a direction that I know is perhaps a bit too nuanced for, for a listener who isn't familiar with what we're talking about, but I don't want to hamper the conversation by regeneralizing it. Does that make sense? And I think today is a, is a really good example of that where I, re, you know, for me, I put a thing up on Twitter like a week or uh, Instagram like a week ago where I had said that this conversation with Jeff today was the closest thing I've had to a therapy session in a while. And I, I, th I think you'll hear why. And in a lot of ways, I'm still sort of processing this conversation that I had with Jeff. Uh, Jeff, like myself, lived in a small town called Athens, Georgia. He lived there longer than I did. I was only there for two years, 99 to 2001. But several important people and key figures, well, two in particular, uh, to both Jeff and myself, a guy called Craig Liskey and a guy called Curtis Vorda, uh, had big, big, big impacts on both of us. Some of you who've been listening to the show for a long time might remember an episode I put up, uh, you know, like four or five, maybe six years ago, commemorating the life of my friend Craig, who had, who had passed away. But Craig, for a lot of people that went through Athens, Georgia, was at, at that particular time, let's, let's call that particular time, 1998 to 2013, was a very important figure. He was a champion of the avant-garde and, and improvisation. He played the electric guitar and, and existed in many worlds at once, but was, you know, a real aficionado and, and, and uh, savant on the topic of free improvisation. Back when CDs were still cool, you dig? Uh, I remember going to Craig's house one day and just seeing these beautifully and meticulously organized shelves and shelves of CDs. And um, another... Um, Another person we talk about on the show today uh, was a guy called Curtis Vorda, who was my best friend, uh, inseparable best friend from age 13 to, um, I don't know, 18 or so. Curtis passed away uh, three, four years ago, and I, I will say this, now that I have enough experience with um with people that I care about dying, it uh, it leaves a hole that doesn't get filled. Jeff and I had had a share a closeness to people that aren't here anymore that were very important to me and very important to him, and uh, we talk about those people today. Sorry. My heart uh, kind of hurts a bit when I talk about Craig and Curtis. God damn it. Today's show is Jeff Tobias. But I bring these two people up because we talk about them a good deal. We talk about them in a, uh, with a shorthand 
that you know is it's just it's it was important to me to talk to Jeff about these people and uh I, I I just want us to all be on the same page when you know when he and I are talking about these people that's who we're talking about Curtis Vorda and Craig Liskey two people who changed my life for the better Today's a good conversation Jeff, you know, he's been living in New York for the last, I don't know, like five or six years. And I I identify a lot with Jeff. And certainly this conversation today uh, fortified that that identification that I I feel with someone like Jeff. You know, I didn't go to a conservatory. I don't, um, I, I, I try not to have a chip on my shoulder about it, you know. I think for a lot of you that have listened to this show long enough have some some sense of of, of how I see myself uh, for good or ill. And um, today today's a doozy. I think today's a good one. Jeff Tobias, let me get over myself for a minute. Uh, he plays sax, he plays bass, he plays keys. He's in this band called Sun Watchers, who honestly, are bringing the fucking party back to the avant-garde in a way that I wish more people would. The music's interesting and it's approachable. The music fucking rocks, but it also, you know, has many layers to, to sort of dig into. And I don't know if this is hyper-specific to me as a listener, but as I've been rambling on for these last, you know, eight minutes or so, there's a lot with that with this music and with Jeff's music that I lock in with because of a shared biographical nature. Maybe I should have just said that. Maybe I'll cut all this shit that I just said and, 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 and say that. But Jeff, as you'll hear today, he's a thinker. You know? I can't stand people who, you know, aren't willing to show anything to the world but absolute confidence. And, you know, a people, you know, I, I definitely could could stand to show less, you know, Lack of confidence, as Evan Parker pointed out on an episode a few weeks ago. Uh, but uh, today's a good one. I don't, I don't fully really know how to explain today's show, and maybe I don't need to. Jeff Tobias is a saxophonist, a composer, and an all-around good dude. Athens, Georgia holds a very specific place in my heart, and today's a good conversation. If you want to find out more about Jeff Tobias, and I recommend that you do because he's very busy right now, and I'm looking into my crystal ball, and I see him continuing to be busy. I see him continuing to evolve in ways that are compelling. Go to jefftobias.net. jefftobias.net. Check him out. I give my full endorsement, you know, if that's worth anything. And that's it. Um... Go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash 5049podcast. Please rate, review the show on iTunes. And uh, here it is. Here's my conversation with Jeff Tobias. Is it them reading it or it's like friends? Them and... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they... Like the Beastie Boys are not only like one of my favorite... Anything ever like, yeah. I'm, like I've been obsessed with the Beastie Boys since License to Ill came out when I was right. in first grade. Right, um, but like they do that, they do this thing where like it's almost like I feel like it, it was born at like Rockefeller Center 
NBC. It feels like SNL in how much they bring in like all the, these different hilarious people. Right. Whenever they do things. Right. You know what I'm saying? That was kind of a long-winded way to describe that, but no, it's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the book on tape is very much in that realm. And I, I, br- I brought it up because Luke Sant, I guess, like yep. wrote a chapter about what New York was like. Yeah. When hey. they were coming up, and he reads it, and it's that's like a highlight, an early highlight. He, I mean, have you spent much time with his books? Uh, no, I started Low Life. I need to finish it. It's dry. Yeah. But it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And that book about Paris is, is amazing. I just saw that on someone else's bookshelf. I can't remember who. But yeah. Um, I mean, he knows how to like paint a really vivid picture uh, of, of, I mean, I don't know how, but he must spend his entire life researching. Yeah. Because he knows like these really minute details of Paris, of New York, and he's from neither. Right. Where is he from? He's from Belgium. He's from Belgium. Belgium, I think, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's the book on the uh, the Beastie Boys book on tape is really worth, I don't know, I mean, you listen to a lot of audio, you deal with a lot of audio, so like, I don't know if you want to be spending your time right. listening to people talking, <laughs> you know? Um, right. But it's it's really engaging. It's like, it, it's not, I, the chapters that they themselves read are the best. Of course. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like it's fun to listen to. Like, I don't know, like who did they bring? In? They bring in like LL Cool J, and they bring in like Will Ferrell and people like that. But I don't know. I recommend it. I mean, the weirdest thing happened. So they uh, ahead of that book being released, they did a show in Brooklyn and a show in LA mm-hmm. uh, where they were kind of reading, like performing the book live. Mike D and Ad Rock. Mm-hmm. The second I heard about it, I bought tickets. Uh, which I then had to sell because I didn't realize I was going to be in Paris at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. So I was in Paris. This is fucking weird. Okay. I was in Paris eating at this really crappy but famous cafe, um, uh, Du Mego. Do you know okay. that place? No. It's in the Latin Quarter. It's been there for like hundreds of years. They had their stage set up as Cafe Du Mego. And so while I was in the real one in Paris, like at the exact time that the, that show was going on, I realized because I saw the pictures. Yeah, they were on the fake one in New York. Bizarre, isn't that? I mean, it's whatever. It's like weird only to me because <laughs> no, that's weird generally. Yeah, that's 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 genuinely. Yeah, Th- those are the only dudes I've ever been starstruck by. Yeah, understandably so. Yeah, I got to see them twice in the same summer on the, 90- Hel- on the Hella Nasty tour. Ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to see them, I want to say at like Hammerstein Ballroom with Blackstar opening up. And then I got to see them again at Nassau Coliseum, right by where I grew up, with KRS One. Jesus Christ. Opening. And it was fantastic. I mean, you know. Yeah. I, I, I actually, Hello Nasty was a record that I got introduced to them really? on. Yeah. Like I didn't pay attention to them until. Shortly before it came out, uh-huh. and a friend of mine, Joe Sidney, got me into them, and I was like, "Oh, okay." I didn't realize like I just knew them from License to Ill. Sure, I didn't realize that they had all this other stuff going on. And I remember like going to the used music place around the corner from my high school, Mr. Cheapo's, and like seeing that they had a cassette of Hello Nasty in advance of the actual release date, uh-huh. and I was just like how do you have this? It's coming out next week. And the guy was like, it fell off the back of a truck. <laughs> and I, yeah, that record, like, I mean, I think that, um, I think that Ad Rock's right. It's like their best record. It's, it's funny. I was gonna, I, so it's not my favorite Beastie Boy record, but yeah, it was, that was 
Sorry. Well, we will talk about things other than Beastie Boys, but um, no, no. <laughs> I'd actually, I'd be okay not doing yeah. that. But uh, he describes it as like a mixtape, yeah. Which I didn't, it never, I never heard it that way. But as soon as I read it, like where he wrote that, it's like, oh yeah, it's exactly what that album is. Yeah, super sprawling. Their most eclectic one, probably. Yeah. I think there's no hardcore on it, but um, but yeah, that record rules, and they were fantastic live. Yeah, and Bismarcky came out, and they did. Big Shot by Billy Joel. Uh -huh. with, with Oh, no, that was with that was with um, Mike D on vocals. But yeah, it was great. Yeah. I mean, I got to see them live a few times. I've I, I got, I've met them all a couple of times, uh, but I'm always like super like like a fanboy. Yeah. It's weird, dude. I've, I've met... I have spent considerable... I, I've been around the Dalai Lama, Jimmy Carter, mm -hmm. um, Martha Stewart. Okay. Like big fucking people that I get, I, I, my, my heart doesn't skip a beat. Right. Totally, you know? Yeah, yeah. Beastie Boys? I've, yeah, I'm like a, like, I'm like just like can't even talk. Where are you seeing Martha Stewart? She, when I, I used to manage a place in the Lower East Side that she okay. was a regular at. Okay. Is she a good customer? Good customer, yeah. Okay, good. Cool. All right. But you didn't ask me if she's a good person. <laughs> I think I know. I think we know. I think we, I think, I think we know. <laughs> wait, I didn't realize, wait, maybe, maybe I did, so I met you in Athens, Georgia, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I knew you were from Long Island. I'm from Long Island. Born and raised. Mm -hmm. Where? East Meadow. Where's that? That is Nassau County, South Shore. Uh-huh. Not too far from Nassau Coliseum. Right. 30-minute drive from Jones Beach. That's where I went as a kid was Jones Beach. Yeah? Yeah. Wait, and where were you coming from? Uh, Monroe, New York, like 45 miles north of here. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you went to Jones Beach. That's where we would go as a kid, yeah. Okay. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. One of, you know. One of the nicer ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't so nice when I was a kid, though. Really? It, they, they shut it down one summer, I remember. Really? Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's so East Meadow. Do your parents still live there? No. They uh, they were public school teachers, and they retired, and now they uh, they sold their house, and they're renting uh, in Manhattan. That's good. Yeah, it's great. I really, so you like, you, you want to go home, you just go up here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, like, they would like go to the city, like, you know, maybe like once every two weeks growing up. But now, like, my parents go to the Stone more than I do. Do they really? They do, yeah. They genuinely like this stuff? Uh, like, they, yeah, they do. They're interested in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, my mom will, like, the way I know if she didn't dig it, she'll be like, it was interesting. Uh-huh. You know? But, I mean, yeah. They, like, they go to Mesero. They go to Jazz Gallery. Like, is that uh, your influence? Or is it the other way around? It's, so, growing up, like when I think of the music that my parents mostly listen to, I think about Van Morrison uh -huh. and James Taylor. Uh -huh. But sometimes, like Roland Kirk, and really? yeah, mm -hmm. and John Coltrane, and um, like I remember very distinctly my dad like being like, "All right, your mom's out of town. I'm going to show you this record. It's a little too insane for her. It's uh, Pharaoh Sanders' Karma." Uh -huh. You know? Yeah. And so like, those were big moments. You know, for me. And then, like, later on, as I kind of, like, kept moving further and further in that direction, my parents were, like, kind of, like, okay, you know, yeah, we're, like, they, I think it's, like, it was, like, um, their influence on me, and then, then it kind of reversed. Yeah. In a way, I think, maybe, I don't know. So you've been able to bond with him. Yeah. About, that's, that's great. Yeah. That, I, I always, growing up, had that with my mom, too. She was always interested in what I was interested in. Yeah. She only ever said no to, like, two different things. Which were? Rain and Blood by Slayer. Okay. And an Ice-T album. I don't remember which one. Okay. But it starts out with him. The, like, 
I, she just overheard me listening to it. He starts by listing off all these profanities that are uh-huh. like banned by the FCC. FCC? Right. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, "Turn that off. That's like that's just a man cursing." Right, right, right. Uh, uh-huh. But then the Slayer thing was the you know, Auschwitz, the meaning of pain, the way that I want you to die. Sure, you know. So like, uh, fair enough. You sure. Know? But she was on board with everything else and still is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, where did she live? She lived. She splits her time between Australia and the North Georgia mountains, like okay, two hours north of Athens. Word. Yeah. So like, has she has she come to some gigs like? It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah but yeah, she you no, know, she always wants to check it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like my my folks, like they, they'll like they'll they'll be like, is this a good show for us to come to? Which like the question is like, is this place gonna like have a finished floor and like yeah, people won't be smoking cigarettes directly into our face? That's like, a, when that's we're there. a perfectly you know? good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I will tell people who, you know, are from like the world outside of music. Yeah. Uh, they'll say, "Hey, I want to come hear you play." I'll say, "I'll let you know when." Right? Because you know, for instance, like I'm gonna do 20 minutes this Sunday night at Much More. It's like maybe don't come to that one. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I should be better about that. I'm always like, "Yeah, just come to the gig," and then people people show up, and they're just like, it's "Another uh, Jeff show." Okay. You mean be like in terms of like there's three people in the audience and uh, you know, it's like uh, for people who aren't used to like all the things that you or I are used to in terms right. of like. Okay, well, the it was going to be two bands. Now it's four bands, and I'm playing at one a.m. You know, yeah. and like like that kind of a thing where like things will just sort of switch on a dime, and you're just sort of like, well, you know, that's DIY. That's shit. how it yeah. happens, and yeah, that's yeah, okay. Yeah. But like people who I know who are like, or my friends who are really sweet, they come to shows, but they like have a straight job. Like yeah. that doesn't work for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like like for them going to see music is more like going to see a movie where there's like a time and a I seat. mean I'm like that too. Yeah. There's you know I haven't even been to the, I've not yet been to the New Stone since it opened since okay. it moved. Okay. But one thing I've always dug about the Stone is that aspect of it. Right. Is that the set's gonna last forty five minutes to an hour, yeah. and it will start no later than quarter past the start the scheduled time. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it? Why do you think you haven't been to the new one yet? Uh, for a number of reasons. One, I just, I don't go out much, uh-huh. but, um, I, I don't find the prospect of going to the new school to hear music particularly enticing. Mm. And I don't know, every time I look at the calendar, it's not, it's, it seems like the focus has become very jazzy mm-hmm. and that's not, you know, New York contemporary jazz is not something I really have any interest in. Okay. At least for now anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Are there venues that you find yourself going to more now? No. When you go out? No. I don't know where the venues are anymore. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could be very frank about this right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Uh, or I could not, but like, there's one venue that we know really well that I think is like utter pretentious horseshit. Uh-huh. Um, the only time I go to it is when people pay me to record there because it's got a really big reverb. Right. Uh, <laughs> there's Roulette, which I love, yeah. and that, that's like a, a home for me in a lot of ways, and I go there to support friends. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I just go to where the shows are happening that I want to. You know, I'll go to like St. Vitus or right. fucking, um, I don't know. Why yeah. do you? Like, where are you going? I mean, Secret Project Robot and the Glove. Well, Secret Project Robot shut down. I feel like they shut down like every week. This was the third time they've had to move, I guess. Okay. And I don't know what's going to happen with them next. And um, the Glove, I guess, is like this is their last summer. Really? Yeah. Um but I also, I sh- I, I, I'm like in one of those, like, I'm doing the, uh, I gotta be better about going to shows. I'm doing that thing right yeah. now, you know, cause I just, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not supporting the scene as much as I ought to. 
We all, it's a guilt we all have. Except yeah, yeah, for, yeah, except for like Marcus Ellie and JG Thurwell, mm-hmm. who go out to hear music like seven nights a week. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are spots where I feel like SPR and the Globe are always places where I felt like welcome and enjoyed yeah. seeing stuff and like kind of knew what was going on there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. None of one of those like inevitable New York flux moments. Yeah. No, there's um, like Zebulon was the best. Zebulon and Tonic were the best for just the over the all around experience of mm-hmm. good programming, comfortable place, yeah. good social component to it. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but like established enough of a place that like people wouldn't be smoking inside. Right, there would be like functional air conditioning. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there would be like a pretty good guarantee of an okay audience. Have you been to the new Zebulon? No. Have you? Yeah. Did it, you love it? I fucking love it. It's yeah. fantastic. I hear it's like really professional. I've described it to people as like the vibe of old Zebulon with the like lights and sound of um, Le Poisson Rouge. It's great. Yeah. So like you're it's and also like a really good restaurant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Jose and Jeff are like fucking yeah. rad dudes. I love those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they literally I don't know if you know this, but they transported the actual bar. The wooden <laughs> bu- surface of the bar from New York to yeah, LA, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. there in the show space. Yeah, it's downtown, right? Uh, I think it's on like Los Feliz, but I, I'm, I don't remember. Okay, yeah. All right, all right, all right. So, w- was your first your first instrument was sax? No. Yeah. Yes, it was alto. Yes. Yeah. Is that, that that's not the same horn you still play? No. Okay. I used to play. I used to play that horn. I was playing my student horn. Up what was it, until, Yamaha 23? Yeah, I, Yamaha something. Yeah. Uh, I played my student horn up until 2014 or 15 <sighs> when I got con that I play now from my friend Jeff Brown. He sold it to me. Yeah. For a deal? Yeah. I mean, he he's a really cool guy. Like He just sort of like, he buys horns, learns what they do, and then just sort of passes them along. You know, did you have to get a lot of work done on it? Not really. No, no, it was in pretty good playing condition when I got it. I think I may have like taken it in for like I don't know if I had to get a setup. I got a setup recently. But what's the difference between the Yamaha and this one? Is it like night and day? Yeah, I mean, I can definitely move a lot faster on it. You know, that's exciting. I mean, I feel like I can get a better sound. I don't know if that's like uh, psychosomatic or not. No, no, no. You, know you I mean? can't do shit with those Yamahas. Yeah, I mean. You do right, but like I can, I can hear them instantly. Yeah, they're not they they don't help the player, right? Very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I love the horn that I play now. I'm feel really glad that and that I was able to get it. It makes you want to play. Yeah, I mean it's like it's just, it's a perfect tool for what I need to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Like I will sometimes like go to like a showroom and like try out horns, mm-hmm. and like I'm not the kind of person who can like tell you about like. I can't talk about different brands and make some models. Right. You know, I could, I just kind of like, all I can kind of deal with is like what I do with that particular thing that I have access to. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 But like when you're hearing sounds that you're trying to realize from your bell, yeah. an instrument like a, a Yamaha, it's going to be much harder to, to access those sounds than something like a Khan or a Selmer that is much more responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically what those sounds like are, are the instruments that those sounds are made on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll tell you this, like, I got, um, I, I decided to, I'd, like, borrowed a tenor for a while, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy a tenor, and I tried out a bunch of horns, and I ended up just getting a con, Yeah, like, from the same era, 
Mm-hmm. You know? And so... So you bought a tenor too? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, Dude, yeah. I, so... <laughs> I know you've... I, for Since I've known you, um, it seems like all the bands you play in, you play a lot of instruments. Mm-hmm. Keyboard. Mm-hmm. Saxes. Yeah. Clarinet. A little bit. Uh, guitar. Sometimes. more Bass, bass guitar. Bass yeah. guitar a lot more than guitar. I don't know how people fucking double or, or triple or quadruple or quintuple. Yeah. I can't do it. Oh, well, here's the thing. You have to... You, um, I would suggest to people, um, if they want to double or triple, just, like, have no focus. Um, <laughs> like, and, and also, like, be really into when you're in middle school, just, like, when your band, your, like, kind of shitty rock band takes a break just like going over to your friend's instruments don't ask yeah just go over and start playing them you know right and so that's that's really how you get started and you know yeah just be uh be comfortable having no mastery yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's uh you comfortable with that no of course <laughs> I not i mean the sax like yeah, you yeah. have to you have to commit to a certain level of yeah. of wanting to get to a level of mastery well that's that's what happened a couple of years ago i guess it was like 2011 what was that what triggered that desire um all right so like i guess what happened was um i was living in athens yeah all right so yeah let's go back yeah so athens georgia yes is a town where i lived from 1999 okay to 2001 right had some very important musical experiences there yeah uh with two people that we both knew who aren't here anymore yeah uh and I, I met you, I'd already left, I was living here, and right. I, I think I met you in like 2009 or something like that. Right. Yeah. What did you go to, you went to Athens, Georgia, go to college? No. <laughs> I, um, I, so I graduated from high school in 2001, and I ended up going to SUNY Albany for reasons that are mysterious to me even now. Yeah. Um, where I like, didn't really feel like there was a musical scene there that I could really relate to. I tried. I like put up like posters trying to get people to start a band. Mm-hmm. I like did solo music. Um, and uh, while this was happening, I was meeting musicians on the internet and like MySpace or was this probably pre MySpace? LiveJournal.com. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I met uh, these two guitar players, Luke Fields and Sam Paulson. Luke was living in Athens. Sam was living in Colorado Springs, uh-huh. and we just like struck up a correspondence, a three-way correspondence. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, Luke was on tour with another group. He came up to New York. We met face to face, and we were like, "Oh, we get along really, really well." So I uh, I had a really good job that first summer. My after my freshman year, I was a lifeguard at an old age community. <laughs> And um, I saved up money, and I got a plane ticket to go to Athens, and Sam flew in as well. Uh-huh. And we met and, like, played music together, and we were like, this will work. And so we went back to our respective homes uh-huh. and then, like, started the process of getting ready to move to Athens. And the concept being it's an inexpensive place to live with lots of music? Yeah, yeah. I think we probably, like, had maybe discussed, like, maybe we'll go to one of these other places. But I think... No, I think the idea was always that we were going to convene in Athens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so Sam moved to Athens a couple months before I did, and she and Luke started playing as a duo, uh, and this was for this band called We Versus the Shark. Yeah. Yeah. 
And this was the band that I did like most of my early touring and Weavers the Shark. Yeah, yeah, that was the name of the band. I heard that name yeah. in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, most 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 happened. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so like, so what happened? So yeah, and then I moved down there, and they were playing with a drum machine, and they started getting some attention from the local music scene and playing with people and then i i moved down and then we got this drummer scott smith uh-huh and i was 20 and just living and working and playing music in athens and that's what i did for the next nine years yeah you're there for nine years mm-hmm. and you so you never went to uga i tried uh, they wouldn't <laughs> they wouldn't have you they uh I, I was like hey i'd like to go to your university yeah and they said no thank you they said we would prefer if you did. We prefer if you did it. Yeah, uh, but wait, you went to Piedmont. Yeah, how'd you know that? Because you told me. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. for uh, like a semester, I was gonna try to transfer to EGA, and then I just realized that college wasn't for me. Right. But wait, so why? So were you? Did you go to Piedmont? Did you move to Athens to go to UGA? I moved to Athens because I wanted to be in Athens. My sister had lived there in the past. Okay. And I, every time I went to visit her, I thought it was like a really cool, fun place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was like, "Oh, cool! I'll go to UGA." But similar to you, yeah. they requested that I not be a student there. Right. Uh, <laughs> so my my plan was yeah. to move to Athens, go to like a like a shitty school that like would let anyone in. Yeah. And then just like get my grades up or something. You know, Dude, I did the same thing. I went yeah. to Athens Tech, and yeah. yeah, shit didn't happen. Yeah. But I mean, I got really good grades, but they still wouldn't let me in. Right. Um, well, one thing, and you know. Actually, for anyone who's listening, I don't give a fuck. I want to talk a lot about Athens. Um, yeah. <laughs> I learned, though, I took full advantage of that university just by walking in places I wanted to go. I'm sure it's different now. I'm sure everyone's got like a, a badge with a security system that right. you use. But I used to just walk into the library and use it as if I went to school there. Right. Yeah. It's so it's so weird, the division between like the university and the downtown scene, or at least this is the way it was when I was there. Yeah. Where like sometimes like... A music program student would like have a show at a local venue and it was like a really weird out of context kind of a thing yeah um and some people like heather mcintosh is the um, sweetest person in the world yeah amazing person and she did a really good job of connecting those worlds like she put on a couple times uh something called the ox festival yeah yeah i, I played that yeah i think you did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and she had like great bands like icy demons uh-huh. perform um and um flash card orchestra i think was what it was mm-hmm. um um but anyway uh yeah uh but there was not a lot of crossover but wait so how did your sister end up in athens she went to uga she went to uga yeah and you'd go visit her from from uh where my mom's house in north georgia is for, okay yeah right when i was yeah, in high school yeah yeah, yeah 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 and so when you got to athens was garbage island they hadn't playing? started yet. they hadn't started yet yeah Okay. But I was, fr- I mean, Craig was the, like, I talked about this on this podcast a lot. Craig was the first um, person I ever, like, I didn't even know improvisation as a concept. Right. Until he introduced it to me. And then, you know, when I got super interested, he just gave me all these, you know, he was like, here's Fred Frith, here's Evan Barker, here's, right. you know? Yeah. And like, that was, you know, yeah. That was it. So I learned about all that stuff. I used to work for Craig at, at the 40 watt. At the 40 watt. He was the manager there. <sighs> um, did you know I was in a band with Craig? What band? So one day, Craig comes up to me and he's like, you and Scott are going to be in a band with me. We're going to be called Sherman's March. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was me and the drummer from We Vs. the Shark. <laughs> and we played like maybe two or three shows. But Wait, it was, Flicker? Uh, we played at the 40 Watt. Uh-huh. Probably played 
the at like I don't know. I can't remember. I played the forty watt a couple times thanks to Craig. Right. And the, for those of you listening, the forty watt is who don't, who don't know is like the biggest venue in Athens. Uh, holds probably like eight hundred people or something. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And Craig would manage it, and I so he booked me to play there a couple times, and it was always super weird because there was like you know forty people in the audience. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know they would have like they would support yeah that world. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They would have, you know, I've seen, I mean, that's, I think that's the only place where I ever saw Garbage Island, which was his, like, large, large, like, ensemble with, like, Tony Evans and yeah. uh, Jeremy, um... Lamato. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it was, like, I mean, like, kraut rock, improvised kraut rock. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, uh, so when you moved to Athens, were you already interested in, like, improvisation as, as a medium? Not really. Yeah. No, I didn't really, like, I didn't think, I didn't. I didn't. I think I had ideas about like training, and I was like, I don't think I'm trained. Yeah. I don't think I'm. I don't, like. I didn't. I always had this idea that like. I think I I um, absorbed the idea of like learn all the rules to break the rules mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And so I didn't feel like I was qualified to improvise, you know. And mm. plus, I was like playing bass a lot more at that time. Yeah. Like when I was in We versus the Shark, I was the bass player. And, yeah, and, and one of the three singers. Yeah, but you didn't uh, have interest in improvising with the bass. Um, no, no, I didn't. For whatever reason, I was just like, I mean, because We versus the Shark, all the songs were like pretty, like, yeah, rigid. Not rigid, but like you know, there was no like there were no open sections. Uh huh. You know what I'm saying? It was like stuff that we like rehearsed super hard and like got into a place where it was like pretty like pretty vacuum tight, you know? Yeah. So that was that was that was where I was at as a musician. I was really interested in that kind of playing. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it took a little, it took a while for me to get into the idea of improvising later on. I I'm not I'm not so sure what it's like now. I I, I go there very rarely. Uh But when I was there, there was like, you know, I mean, varying levels of quality, but there's lots of music happening. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, people think of Athens, Georgia as a great music town. Mm-hmm. That's its reputation. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I've always thought it was a, it, it's a kind of a homogenous music town. Like, sure. it's a great music town. You know, it certainly was in like the early 80s mm-hmm. uh, when a lot of like notable bands came from there. Yeah. Um, but for a small town, there is a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, something that I've said about it before is like, uh, there is like one really great act for every genre in Athens. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, maybe not more than one. You right. know what I mean? Well, there's probably a couple of good indie rock bands. Totally. Yeah. But I'm talking about like, like for like a, like, like a subgenre kind of yeah. a thing, you know? Yeah. But also like, you know, the hip hop scene's been growing there, I know, over yeah. the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, I go down like maybe like once a year. Um, we versus the shark actually we like disbanded in 2010 or 11 and then over the course of the last three years we've been writing and recording a new album that we're hoping to put out sometime in the next those year. guys still live down there so our drummer scott lives in amsterdam okay and sam and luke both live in athens uh-huh uh luke plays in a video game cover band called bit brigade <laughs> that's done really well they play saint vitus like three times a year now okay and then um sam is in man or astro man oh shit yeah, I man, that was a fun band. Yeah, still are. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I haven't totally. thought about them in forever. And I saw them like when I first moved to Athens. That was one of the first shows I saw. Yeah. Like an older friend was like, oh, you want to go see this band? Yeah. They're amazing. You'll love it. And it was like super, super fun. They were playing like a fax machine or something. Mm, yep. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So she's she's been doing that for a long time now. Um, but yeah, they're down there. And like we've just been like kind of working on stuff long distance. And I'll go down there and track for like a week or so. And yeah. Stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I. Uh, you know, it's hard to like comment on what a music community is like after you've left. Yeah, because you have to assume, or I, I, I'm assuming that there's stuff going on that I just have, of course, no awareness of, of either like generationally or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think it's maybe got less of an emphasis on DIY shit, but I don't really know. I really don't know. Yeah, because like who, I, who knows where DIY stuff happens? Like you can't really from afar. Yeah, keep too abreast of it because the very nature of it is that it's like word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like most of my friends who who live in Athens have like bought houses that are not within walking distance of downtown anymore. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like they're not like that. That they're that community has sort of like shifted a little bit. So like they're not necessarily like everywhere. Of, I think. Yeah. I mean, like here, like you know, it's been a big conversation for years. You know, is how decentralized the music uh, scene has become in New York City because mm-hmm. everyone's moving you know farther and farther out as right. you know it gets too expensive to live central yeah so I have to assume it's happening everywhere right I don't fully understand the economics of a place like Athens to, mm-hmm. to know you know but but then you started when you were there so you moved down there to play with Weavers to the Shark but then like you began playing with lots of people pretty quickly right I did yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and was that the original idea um, no, that started, I think, because I, you know, everyone in We vs. the Shark was either, was either, either had a job or, you know, Scott was in school and, um, I found myself with idle time Yeah, and like very quickly I was like, I just need to have other stuff musically going on. So, um, I started another group called, uh, Pegasus's XL. <laughs> we were Pegasus's and then we found out there was another Pegasus's. So we became Pegasus's XL, uh, and that was with um, Joel Hatstat um, and uh, Mark Dale, and later Jeff Rosenstock joined the group. Uh, and uh, then uh, Jim McHugh moved to Athens, uh-huh. um, maybe like a year or two after I did. He's like a cult leader. Uh, yeah. People <laughs> said this. Yeah, I've always gotten that impression from him. Sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, he and I and a couple other people worked at this like comfort food restaurant i'll say which one uh five star day cafe dude i ate yeah. lunch every I, I ate lunch there every day for about a year and a half right yeah yeah, yeah. Used to, did you ever work with this chick dawn i don't remember a dawn she you, she might have been before your time she yeah. if you worked in the downtown area you did not pay for lunch right right right, right. yeah five star day so you yeah. worked at five star i worked at five star what did you do there I was a dishwasher, and then I they were like, well, we'll, we'll put you on the line. And then uh, they were like, so we got you scheduled for dishwashing next week. And I was like, all right, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, like, I shifted back and forth there. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and, like, after, like, getting just completely destroyed at brunch, we would all go over to gyms afterwards and, like, play Neil Young covers and stuff. And that yeah. was what Dark Meat. That's where Dark Meat started. Yeah, mm-hmm. So wait, who did you work at Five Star with? You worked there with Jim, uh-huh. uh, Chris Deason, uh-huh. uh, Michael Davis, Forrest Leffer. Uh, I'm probably all pretty... these guys became part of Dark Meat. Mm-hmm. So Dark Meat, uh, you know, it's funny because a few minutes ago you were saying, you know, 
it's kind of hard to keep up with the place you no longer live. Yeah. The first like five years after I left Athens, I tried to kind of keep up a little bit. So like I heard of We Versus the Shark. I don't know that I ever heard the music, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember when Dark Meat put out the first record it's called mm-hmm. Universal Indians. Yeah. I had you know no idea what the band was, but I was like, is that a coincidence or is that an Albert Eiler reference? Yeah. And, yeah. Later I found out, of course yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, but Dark Meat is like a really unusual, was an unusual band. Sure. Yeah. What was the the original idea of the band? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know that there was like a like mission statement kind yeah. of vibe, you know, because it was. Sort it of, has to be if it's going to be like a thirty piece band. I mean, I think the implicit mission statement was inclusiveness, you know. Yeah. Because like I, so I at the time I was like barely playing saxophone. Right. Like I didn't practice. I only played it like for fun, like with, so, you know, because like Athens, Georgia, and this is like a very. Uh, common thing in athens Uh where it's like hey we're starting a band we already have the basic parts of a band however we also have these other friends yeah that we want to hang out with yeah and so this guy plays a flute this guy plays percussion that is athens exactly yeah yeah yeah. and so like they already had like ben clack was playing bass and so i was like okay well i'll just bring my saxophone yeah for all those neil young songs that have saxophone on them (laughs) you know yeah and so like yeah so it became a horn section thing and i think that you know jim and ben they were kind of the nucleus of the thing and like at the time i i was like not that familiar with albert eiler and like that was sort of something that jim kind of like was showing me and i didn't did you enjoy it at first i didn't grasp it at first and i didn't grasp it until we started playing it and at first, I was sort of like, I don't. I, again, I was like, I don't know that, like, jazz is for experts. And he was like, no. Like, he he kind of eschewed that idea, huh. in favor of like, we can. I think I think his basic premise was like, we have every right to express ourselves, in whatever way we see fit. And I think that that's, a basic kind of like punk mentality mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so like and there's certainly plenty of quote-unquote jazz masters who would disagree so vehemently with that yeah it's a really good thing that we don't answer to them <laughs> you know yeah um yeah you know but i mean yeah so like we i mean um do you know about the albert island movie i've seen it a couple yeah. times yeah my yeah. name is albert island yeah yeah, yeah yeah and like uh Jim arranged for the screening at this really? uh, at, at Cine, the art house. Place is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he had the director Casper come over mm-hmm. to present it, and we did like a marching band kind of a thing where we played Eiler tunes um, in the show space. I remember one of the cool things about that screening was was that the director insisted on it being uh, played at a very loud volume. The film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember like the uh, the proprietor of the movie theater at the time was a little uptight. She was like, kind of like. Uh, it was it was there was like a, it was like a little bit of like a push and pull there. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But it was great. It was really really fun. Yeah, I so. don't I don't think I knew Jim was this like such a huge. I mean, I knew, knew you guys were all obviously Eiler fans, but I don't I didn't I I wasn't aware of his commitment to it at this level of getting the film shown and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, in Sun Watchers, part of what makes it a band that can sort of get as much done as we do is like something that we all have in common is like wanting to do things wanting to like act, be active and like make things happen yeah you know and so yeah but i mean i wonder i think that a combination of like 
playing with Craig and playing with Jim and other fact. I mean, those were definitely big parts of like moving me more towards improvising. I'd say that. Were you still living there when Craig passed away? No, I was living up here. I'd moved. I maybe had been up here for two years. Yeah. Yeah. I I. I was thinking about on the way here that like I still haven't listened to the episode you did about oh, really? him. I, I, and I'm realizing that like I think that I, I I might not be very good at confronting things like that. Yeah, you know. And I've had people tell me they're like, no, it's good. Like listen to it. It's like yeah. it's it's like celebratory. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But I put it off just because that's tough. That was one of the, that doing. Uh, so. A little while after Craig died, maybe like within a year, I did like an episode of the show where I interviewed like five, four or five people that that knew Craig closely, as sort of like a, a tribute to my friend who had passed away. Uh, that was one of the only times in my life where I've like responsibly addressed grief. Yeah, like usually I just shut it out, and even since then, like I, I've gone back to Athens and I get really depressed when I'm there, uh, largely because I walk around and I just see ghosts everywhere. Uh, which I'm starting to fucking feel that way in New York in a lot of ways. But yeah, that was the, you know, actually one of the only times I've ever like productively grieved. I usually just like shut it out and don't deal with it. Um, yeah. It's also real. I mean, like it's, it's one thing when like a family member passes, but like, a, a, like a friend. Yeah. That's it. Why is that different? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, you you felt compelled toward you know with a friend you feel compelled towards one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and right. you fortify that friendship through activity and and, and output and creativity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, family, you're you don't really have a lot of choice in the matter. Right. So you're often into a family with plenty of people that you don't like. I don't right. like most people in my family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I should I gotta listen to the Craig. I gotta listen to the Craig episode. I want to do that. And so you were able to spend a good deal of time with him. Yeah. 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 Playing music, seeing him play. Oh, you were talking about on an episode recently when you were going to see the Melvins. Yeah. And Craig was like, "Evan Parker's playing a flicker. You should really go check that out." Yeah. It reminded me of a similar night where this band from New York called Get Him Eat Him was playing oh. that I was friends with. And they were on tour, and they were opening for Craig Wedrin from oh, Shudder to Think. think yeah. Right. And I was on my way there, and someone was like, oh, you should come to Flickr. And it was Mary Halverson and Jessica Pavone. It was the first time I saw them do their duo. And, and like, because Flickr... Also, one thing that's funny about Athens, I don't know if they do this anymore, but when you were there, did all the shows start super fucking late there? Yeah. Like 11 o'clock for, yeah, like, so the first set yeah. of three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but I because Flickr shows were earlier. I got to go see Mary and Jess play, and then I went around the corner to see my buddies open up for Craig. That's Wedren. so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remind me of that. Is Flickr still uh, like a, a place that good stuff happens? Um, yeah, and I think that they've even expanded it. I haven't been there in a minute, but I hear that the room is larger now. Yeah, does it need to be? Um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> These big rooms are always so funny to me. I mean, I know Flickr's like their focus isn't exclusively like weirdo improvised music, but when these places open up in like huge rooms, I'm always like, what do you, who do you, who do you think is going to pack this place out every night? I mean, I, I can't imagine they've expanded that much. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm sure that I, I bet the vibe is still fairly intact. So did Dark Meat, that band kind of hit the ground running, right? Mm hmm. Was it originally like how many people were in the band at its biggest? 
I'm no shaking way, my, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would venture to say twenty more, twenty five. I right. don't know. I mean, like so. Dark me, like I was sort of in like um like the hometown crew of that band. Like I did some out of town shows with them initially, and then later. But I was doing a lot of touring with my with We versus the Shark and with Pegasuses. So like they're like Greyhound bus tours that they did. Yeah. I didn't do. I didn't do a lot of those, or merely, I don't think I did any of those tours. But, you know, it was a lot of, like, picking people up, you know? How do you mean? Like, oh, this person's in the band now. Right. And, like, you know, a friend from North Carolina, a friend from the West Coast, and now they're singing on this part of the tour. Yeah. You know? But, like, yeah, like, in Athens, in Athens shows, like, I think, like, 15, 20 is a good number to, to like, <laughs> yeah. to settle on. Yeah. I think like there was like a core of, like seven people who were there for like, right. most of the time. Right, drums, you know? bass, like the, the, yeah. the core of the band, and then mm-hmm. everything else yeah. was sort of like accoutrement. Yeah, Jason yeah. Rabira joined the band early on. Right, and, like, and like there was like a double drum thing that was happening for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So, w- at what point did you begin to take the saxophone more seriously? So, um, like 2010 was a year that like Dark Meat stopped, and we was were, it 2010? I think so, or maybe 11. Okay, 2010, 11, around there. Was when Dark Meat stopped and um, and and We versus the Shark stopped and um, Pegasus has stopped. Like all the bands that I like, the main groups that I was involved with all kind of stopped playing. And I had like a moment of reevaluation. And I was like, I think I'm gonna actually try to go to school to be a journalist. And that was when I enrolled at Athens Tech with the idea of going to UGA. Um, and to be a journalist yeah i was going to be i that because i also wrote for flagpole yeah, yeah you know that. and had this idea that like print journalism would be a safer career than being a musician <laughs> anyway uh and uh and uh so like i remember being like all right i'm i'm taking these bullshit courses at athens tech i need some music to like listen to that's just purely instrumental to study from and um do you know tom strickland I know that name he uh, he used to perform a lot under the name Smoke Dog, okay, uh, with his drummer Jason Jones and then later solo, and now he performs solo as Bleachy Asshole, <laughs> uh, and Tom was like, oh, I got good music for you to study for, and he gave me a DVDR of Alan Licht's Minimalist Top Thirty, okay. Do you know about this list? No. I, don't I, mean, know. I can imagine what's on it. Right. Tony Conrad and right, right, right. And it was—I I, I don't know where it was initially published, but he just made this like top ten that he then later added to until it was thirty okay. albums. And so Tom gave me how, somehow he collected at least twenty, maybe all of these albums and burned it onto one disc. Exactly. Wow. And I was listening to this music while I was studying, and I was like, I can't stop doing this. Like yeah. it, like it, it blew, it blew music open for me in like a new way where I was like, because I, I, I think I had like, again, like my own, like, I think, I think it was like a moment where I was like, I have to make a choice about like how my life's going to go. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know? And I think that like listening to like getting exposed to all this, like really incredible music that i'd never heard of before made by people who were in all these different stages of their lives i was like oh no this is like life can be like really long and you can just kind of grow into this and just keep going Uh and i was like all right so no i'm gonna stick with music right do you uh remember which albums were particularly impactful for you propellers and love by arnold drayblatt yeah the orchestra for excited strings that one in particular that album 
That album blew my mind. That what album, about it? uh, it was like a punk rock version of like of the of of like minimalism. Yeah, it was like gnarly. Definitely not slick. Like, you know, like the Phil and the Steve records. They're like perfect, pristine little documents. Sure. Which I, you know, whatever. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, this was like crazy gnarly music. Like, have you heard that record? Uh. Uh-uh. Zodic put it out. I'm pretty sure. Oh. Yeah. I, I I've I've never really listened to it all the way. I I know the album. Yeah, I've yeah, heard, yeah. I've definitely heard it at times. Yeah, but I haven't dealt with it properly. Yeah, and then later on, I, I also heard Animal Magnetism. Yeah. and like No Look Simon, like all these amazing albums. Dryblatt, Dryblatt. Someone told me it was Dryblatt. Yeah, I'm not know. sure. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, dude's sick. And uh, yeah, like that record. I think just the idea that because I don't think I'd really thought about the idea of. Like, again, I had this idea of, like, professionalism with any kind of formal music. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm not qualified. And I may never be qualified, you know, because I didn't do it when I was young. I didn't, right. like, get the job right, you know. And so, like... So, like is there, like, an inferiority complex in here? I don't... I can't see how that could fathomably be true. I just don't think that that's possible. Really? <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that you do. I'm oh, yeah, just, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, yeah, I'm oh. projecting based on my own feelings. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that... I don't know what it is. I think that I just was sort of like... I think with punk rock, being just, like, into that as a young person, I was just like, I'm just going to, like, play the best to, to the best of my ability and not really worry about trying to, like, be a virtuoso. Yeah. And I think because I'm not a virtuoso, I'm just sort of like... I'm just doing it like I'm like a foot soldier in the world of music. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. But it, uh, that's that's how you see yourself. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm proud of like the work that I do and like I have like ambitions, but at the same, you know, but like, yeah, I guess it's just sort of like, does the work as a, as a, as a foot soldier, is, is it going to lead towards those ambitions happening i mean i think that like this year i've been thinking about how i'm i'm so i'm doing a lot of out of town stuff and i might have to like figure out another way to approach it so that i can actually spend more time like composing and like finishing larger projects right for sure you right. know yeah 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 so you enroll at Athens Tech with the the concept of becoming a journalist. You hear this collection of records compiled yeah. by Alan Licht. Yeah. And that's what, what to you says, now I got to go back and just focus on music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, all right, so I'm going to study music formally. Okay. Yeah. And what, what step did you take to make that happen? Um, I was looking at schools all over, and I ended up um, taking like a trip up to New York um, and checking out all the uh, CUNY schools. Uh-huh. And settling on Brooklyn College. And initially the idea was you wanted to be in New York? Um, I think, you know, like, so, like, with Athens, like, moving to Athens, like, there was already a community, like, waiting for me there there to join. Yeah. You know, like, where, like, my friends were there. They already started the group. I was going to go join. And I think, like, so, Jim at this point was up in New York. Rubira, Jason, the drummer, uh-huh. was already up in New York. And they were doing uh, music with this band Nymph, among other projects. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your name? Ari. Yeah, with Ari. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they, I think that was part of it, that they were like, come up and you can play, you know, with this group as well. Yeah. So, like, there was a community, and also, like, my high school friends, and also other people that I knew from Athens who've moved up to New York, yeah. you know? And so it just made sense. Made perfectly good sense. hmm Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, okay, so you need to specialize on an instrument. 
The school said that. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you were going to study, I'm sorry, performance or composition? Composition. Okay. But they still need, they still wanted me to um, like audition on and specialize on an instrument. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so I was like, all right, so I should really pick a lane here. And uh, I chose saxophone because it was the closest to the voice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I started taking it seriously. And like that was like the first time in my life that I was like, I'm going to actually focus on one instrument and like try to build up my chops i don't know why but i feel like like i feel excitement just hearing you say that yeah yeah okay. cool i think anytime uh it happens however it happens whatever it looks like when there's just like this all of a sudden this decision to to get better at something or to or have like a really decisive goal yeah just good shit happens immediately yeah yeah i mean it was and it was a really funny and strange and like challenging experience and still is i mean like um so the uga has like a community music school right where like it's like they have like students there who will you can pay them for private music lessons like phd candidates and um it was like the beginning of like what i i think i was like anticipating like whiplash style experiences (laughs) you know right and like i remember like uh taking lessons with this one dude and he was like so what are you uh what are you trying to do like what are you interested in i was like i mean you know like improvising like more experimental saxophone he's like he, he was uh, like zorn <laughs> and i was like yeah or you know or like um eiler and yeah and Ferris sanders and he goes well you know there's a lot of documentation that says that alvin eiler didn't even know how to read music i hope you just said thank you for your yeah time. yeah, yeah we wrapped away. up we wrapped yeah. up pretty soon after that yeah um but yeah uh i just sort of took it upon myself to kind of figure out what i needed to do for the first year yeah, when I was still in Athens, and then I came up to Brooklyn and started studying composition. And then also they provided me with some lessons with JD Perrin, which was really oh, deep. Oh shit, JD! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know you studied with JD. Mm-hmm. For how long? Two semesters. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, it was great. And he plays a lot of horns. Yes. What did you work on with JD? Well, like there were all kinds of things that I just had no idea about. Like no, like I didn't understand why, like what overtone matching. Like, or like why one would practice harmonics. Like that was like completely news to me. Yeah. You know? And so introducing that to like building my tone, things like that. I mean, it was, it was a, I I regret not like working harder with him directly because like that period of my life was insane because I was like taking courses and working. Where were you working? Um, I mean, at that time I was working at um, like restaurants and. Which one? Uh, Reynard. What'd you do at Reynard? I was a coffee person at Reynard. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, getting up at, like, five in the morning. Yeah. To, like, go do coffee stuff, and then, like, clock out around noon, go from Williamsburg to the end of the two and the five at Flatbush to right. go to Brooklyn College, taking normal classes, you know, liberal arts shit, yeah. and as well as, like, music stuff, and then also like playing a lot with nymph and katie eastburn and uh-huh. other new projects and stuff like that it's exhausting yeah and so like i wish i'd like um jd like that was an insanely valuable year of music pedagogy um but i wish i'd like gotten more out of it for sure yeah yeah who did you study composition with um uh people like uh doug gears doug cohen who else um i mean uh tanya leone uh-huh. And Jason Eckhart were the 
professors that I said they were like the last two people that I worked with. Jason's great. Jason Eckhart, like working with him was really deep. I really like studying music. He's, with he's him. made some incredible music. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not familiar with the other people you mentioned. Oh yeah. So I, that's not to say anything of like he's mm-hmm. deep there. Not. I just right. I know his music and. Tanya Leon has a really fascinating story. She like emigrated from Cuba uh-huh. um, when she and um, this was I guess maybe in like the. I don't know, man, the 60s, maybe 50s. And she was a pianist and she was an accompanist, I believe, for dance. And then she got introduced to like contemporary music and started composing in that style. And she has made her name not only as a composer, but also as a conductor for like Robert Wilson. And she's Mm. conducted, uh, what's that Steve Reich piece, The Desert something or other? I forget. It's like a large ensemble piece. Um, And so her thing was like, here's a page from Ligeti. I'd like you to just copy it note for note. Just huh. like sitting there and like literally just like drawing out the lines on the page, drawing out like with a ruler, like, and like just like recreating with a ruler making the, the, the stave as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was the concept there? Uh, I think it was just like that. You're going to take something that's like massively complex and get completely under the hood with it. Yeah. You know? And I don't know. I appreciated like just like the kind of like go and get water you know get a bucket full of water like that kind of you know what I'm talking about like a master it's like when you start when you study with a master you're not you're just like gonna like do some work yeah you know well no no could you open that up a little bit what do you mean I don't know just like I think that I don't know as a music student I think one thing that I've always had a problem with is like wanting to like get to the cool shit of course right off the bat and also like un- completely underestimating how valuable the basics are uh-huh. you know what i mean and so like to be i mean to be completely honest like i'm not like did i did it like completely shift my conception to copy a page of ligeti's piano music maybe i don't know but like just like just the gesture of like take some time to think about one page of music and and and, and like what makes that what puts it on a page yeah i don't know no that, I, no, dude that's... i have no idea uh, that, that 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 sounds like a completely worthwhile exercise and endeavor. And I mean, you Maybe. know, I remember. I mean, this is like pretty well known. And this is not music. This is this is literature. But Hunter S. Thompson typed out "The Sun Also Rises" and "The Great Gatsby" twice each, right. just to get into the rhythm of of Fitzgerald and, mm-hmm. and Hemingway, the way mm-hmm. they would write. Yeah, I think Ralph Allison did some. Yeah, like that's that's. I think that was the vibe. I think yeah. that was the idea. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and Jay, I mean, like, one thing about Jason Eckhart is, like, the first five minutes of any lesson with him is exactly the same. Because he doesn't want to look at a Sibelius file. He wants you to bring him hard copies of the music. And he sits there, and you just sit in silence as he audiates the entire thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you just sit there, and he's, like, he's looking through it. And he'll go, okay. <laughs> and then he'll, like, kind of, like, shuffle the papers, and then we get into it. And he's like, so, measure 24 can we talk about the beaming? You know, like, huh. he's just like like a laser, that dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is he still there? I think he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I don't amazing. Know. So, when did you officially become a composer? <laughs> I mean, like, in terms of graduating. Right. Sorry, that's all. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I wrapped up. So, I guess I finished at the end of 2014. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... And it sounds like it was an amazing experience. It was good. I mean, like, um, CUNY's a massive bureaucratic clusterfuck um that's that's no secret that's the university yeah 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 but yeah it was i mean i'll tell you like 
studying with the people I just named was really great. Meeting the people who I met there was super deep. Like though that that like at this point, like I still have like my community with Sun Watchers, and that's an extension of Athens. Yeah. But when I got there, there was like a little postcard up on the uh, the wall in one of the like music labs, and it just was like something about the Sweat Lodge. And Sweat Lodge was a composer performer collective that formed at Brooklyn College, and so that was Amirtha Kadambi, Dave Ruder, Corey Bracken, Joe White, Ellen O'Mara, and mm-hmm. Ian Monroe. And like, very quickly, those became like I was. It was it was really convenient for me that they were there and that they made themselves known as like these are the hippest people there. Yeah. These are like the people with the best taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most fun. And just like they very, very quickly became like a crew that I still like love very dearly. Yeah. 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 Major, major, major crew. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all really good people you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like Matthew Gant and Sam Morrison. Sam. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know. I Sam? knew Sam from the equipment room at the new school. Yeah. Where yeah. I used to work there. Yeah. Um, me and Sam and Dave have a group called Reps that we've been playing yeah. for the last couple of years. Actually, for fans of this podcast, anytime I've ever done a mobile interview, yeah, it's with uh, a mobile device that Sam basically gave to me. He's Shout out to Sam Morrison. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's like, I don't know who I would have met at Queens College. I don't know who I would have met wherever. But like, yeah. But it's like, really glad I met those people. Yeah. Seems like you have a good talent for, for finding the right people. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I try. And um, you still work with all those people regularly? Uh, well, uh, Ellen, Ellen O'Mara passed away a couple months ago. Yeah. But yeah, everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Joe White is my roommate. And, you know, like, I see Dave all the goddamn time. Yeah, I mean, you know, so, I'll, okay, I'll tell you a good, like, so, like, when I got to New York, like, I, you know, I'd spent, like, two weeks checking it out in September 2011, and I was like... Wait, checking out New York or Brooklyn College? Checking out New York. Yeah. I was, like, visiting all the CUNY schools, talking uh-huh. to people, and at, you know, at the programs. I, uh, I, was, I, was, I went to the very first day of Occupy Wall Street. Uh-huh. It just happened to be happening, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. I was, like, I was apartment-sitting for friends of mine who had just gotten married. I also came up for their wedding, and then I was apartment-sitting for them while they were on their honeymoon uh-huh. on the Upper West Side. Just nice. like this entire apartment to myself. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I remember like riding my bike around, or no, not riding my bike because I didn't have a bike, but I was walking around the um, the High Line and there was like a uh, David Byrne and Miranda July joint art opening that was happening. Uh-huh. And I was just like, I'm moving to New York. Like, yeah, you know, New there's York like, there's that. no question about it. Yeah. And so like, I moved to New York and like, just cratered, just like totally crash landed. Like, things just did not go well, like, it, right no, off that's, the bat. That's not supposed to. Yeah. And so, like, the first nine months were kind of, like, a fucking disaster for a number of reasons. But well, um, you were just, like, broke all the time and wondering what the fuck you were doing? Yeah. I mean, it was tough. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What you said. Yeah. But um, there was one really key weekend where um, I think Matthew Gant put together a night at... Um, so, do you know about Exapno? What is that? It's this um, mixed-use space... Um, downtown brooklyn okay where um there are people like architects working at a desk but then at night sometimes there will be music but it's low-key you have to get buzzed in yeah i've heard about this yeah okay and so um matt gant 
ha- asked me to do something for a night of performance, and me and Dylan Angel, who was also in Dark Meat and um, who's a trumpet player, we did like a duo, just like a ten minute, super aggressive, screaming our brains out, uh-huh. kind of like in the in like pitch darkness in the the corner of the building, uh-huh. you know, and like that was a moment where like I actually like really started like meeting and like people were sort of like, oh, this is like there's a person, yeah, this guy, you know, Jeff is a guy, yeah, he's a person, and so like then. That Saturday, uh, I got gifted free tickets to go see Neil Young and Crazy Horse at Central Park. Uh-huh. And I went to that with my friend Evan. And then Sunday, my friend Adam Newman, who's a comedian, he was like, I was like, where do you see comedy? He was like, oh, Hannibal Burris hosts this free thing at the Knitting Factory uh-huh. in Brooklyn. And sometimes, like, Chris Rock will get up. Right. You know? And so I went, Chris Rock gets up. <laughs> uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And so I was like, all right. I can live with this. Like this is like now New York feels like a place where I can that I can deal with. There's lots of balancing acts. That yeah. You have to figure out how to do. Yeah, it's like the cool shit that makes the insanity worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a million different versions of that. There's a yeah. million and a half different versions of that. Right. And like it's good. I I think it's healthy and it 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 will keep you sane to have that perspective. Weird shit. Like, you know, you Sometimes I will just replay for myself, like, well, what did I eat? I'll look at every meal I had for the last two days. Yeah. I look at everything I did in the last week, and I'm like, oh, yeah, these are all things that are hyper-specific to where I am and would not, could not happen anywhere else. Totally. You know, I've actually, I've been getting super dark about New York lately. Really? But even still, you know, like, just weird shit. Like, I was in the gym the other day next to Steve Reich. Yeah. You know, who, whatever. It's just like, not, not even that that's a cool thing. Right. It's just like. It's funny. It's weird. Yeah. And I like weird shit. Well, also, you know, Jeremiah, where would you go? Paris or L.A.? Okay. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? But then I would just be confronted with the same shit there. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I, I still get psyched when I come home from tour. Of course. I still look forward to it. Yeah, you of know? course. And then, like, a week later, I'm, like, pulling my hair out. Yeah. But I'm still, like, I don't know. I like I like coming back. I mean, I was in Paris this like this last fall. I Airbnb Air a place for like a week, and every second I was like, "Man, I just I could just live here." I could, and of course, like it wouldn't be that you know, yeah. I wouldn't be spending every day walking around drinking wine, reading books, you know, which is what I was doing. You know, mm-hmm. I'd live in some fucking shithole in the middle of nowhere, and right. you know, hate my life. So I might as well just do that here. That's what everyone else is doing. <laughs> So when did Sun Watchers form? That's your so that Sun Watchers and again there's an Isler reference. Yeah, uh, that's you and Jim and, yeah. and who else and Ribera. Mm-hmm. Jason Ribera on drums and Peter Curlin on bass. Yeah, Peter. Yeah, he's deep. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah he rules. That's a solid bass player. Yes. I mean he's a solid cat. I've never actually met him. Okay. In person. Try it. You'll love it. Yeah. 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 But he made the, he made a pretty cool record a few years ago. With, the octet. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mike Pride and mm-hmm. Pavone. Mm-hmm. And Emily Manzo yeah. and Charles Burst. And... and he also plays in Chris Forsyth's band. Yes. Yeah, he's in the Solar Motel band. Yeah, he's definitely got like... Pete Rules. A vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he... Um, it's interesting. He like was sort of... I don't know. I guess like... So, all right. Sun Watchers was sort of, this sort of like um, nebulous membership drone like group right. for at first it was right. just sort of like you know jim and me and or jim and rubira and like whoever was kind of around and then pete asked i believe he asked nymph to play his album release party at trans picos uh-huh. when it had just opened 
for the octet and nymph couldn't do it and so we were like okay well, let's do sun watchers and me and jim and rabira were writing songs centered around um the pin the electric pin the uh Thai guitar okay. that Jim plays sometimes, like the tonality of this like diatonically fretted instrument from Thailand. Right. Um, and we needed a bass player, and Jim was, I guess, maybe bartending somewhere, and Dave Harrington was there, and they started oh, yeah. up a conversation because Harrington was reading uh, the Derek Bailey book. And so they just started improvisation. I believe so. Okay, not the piece of shit Ben Watson one. I don't think he was reading the Ben Watson okay. one. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, Jim and Dave just like met that way yeah and dave was like oh I, I i play bass i can play bass for you guys for that show <laughs> and so that was our first show like as like a rock band or like whatever we are you right know? it's a rock band yeah and um so then like we booked another show and dave was out of town and so we're like oh we should get curlin to play bass and that was how like the the core Sun Watchers, which has basically been the same exact thing the entire time. Started. Yeah. And it's yeah. been going strong. You guys made, what, three, four records? We've made three full lengths of original like, LPs, and then we have a double LP with Eugene Chadbourne that we put out last year, and then we've had like different like tapes and like a picture disc 12-inch and stuff like that. And you guys tour regularly. Oh, yeah. It feels good to be in a band. It does. I wouldn't know. I've never really done it. That's not true. It's Pale Horse? Yeah, but that, I mean, in terms of like, I mean, we haven't played a show in over a year. Okay, we've literally played like twelve shows ever. Mm-hmm. You know, we've yeah. made two. You know what I mean? Like in terms of like a band that like has done multiple tours and you know grows as a unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We stay really busy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's great. Yeah, you like being in bands. It's it's the it's the format that I'm the most comfortable with. Right. You know, it's sort of like, it's like the mode that I, that like makes the most sense to me. And like, I understand how to function pretty yeah. well in that scenario. Yeah. I mean, we, we sort of talked about it for a second a little while ago, but do you have, I mean, you have things that you want to do beyond, uh, that are like more like you centric yeah. composer performer stuff. Yeah. 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 For sure. And I mean, like, you know, like after, you know, asking me when I started being a composer, you know, yeah, that would when be I graduated. Yeah. No, 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 no. But like, it's a good question. It's a really good question. Yeah. Uh, you know, because, like, basically, by the time I graduated, Sun Watchers was, like, a going operation. Yeah. You know? And I, like, I know people, like, and uh, who compose formal music and do it in a cool way and are, like, making their way in the world doing that. Right. Um, and, like, they treat it, like... Kind of like a job, like you know, like like Eric Wobles is a great example. He's a great dude. Hearing about his process on this show was really valuable. Talking about his, day. it was really valuable for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but like, I like Sun Watchers is just like, it works really well. It functions really well because so many people are writing for it. Uh-huh. You know, like people are like actively bringing in stuff, right? You know, and so we always have a lot of material to work on, and we always like it's. We've been lucky. We've been like asked to play shows, and like we like. You know, through touring a lot in other groups over the last, like, 15 years, we, like, can book ourselves and, like, go around the U.S., you know? And so, like, it's a good, it, it's, like, it already kind of has its own uh, inertia, I guess sure. you could say, you know? It, things need to have that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas, like, I've never gotten a fucking grant, <laughs> right? you know? Right, it's like, right, right, right. not that you need that. You definitely don't need Whoa. that. Whoa. You know? I, don't, I wouldn't quite say that. 
I mean, it, of course it helps, you know, but the thing is like, you know, I was confronted very early, you know, I was like, all right, so if I want to make a recording, like I, I right. need resources, you need resources, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Especially if you want it to sound pretty good. So like I put out a tape of my own music a couple of years ago. It's called Some. I'll tell you why. How's it spelled? S-O-M-E. Okay. Um, because this is, this is funny. Uh, I, when I came up to, uh, audition for Brooklyn College, um, I guess like first I had to send them a, uh, a portfolio of compositions. Scores. Right. Right. Which like, I think like, if I looked at them now, I would maybe compare them to like ransom notes. Right. Cause I was like literally like writing out music in notation. Like, dude, I'm sure like the beams and stems were like, whew. Right. And like, and like tearing them off of a page and like taping them next next to text and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. Like it was a mess you know and uh when i i got up there they had like a jury look at my scores and then they showed me the piece of paper that they had like graded me on uh-huh. and next to genre or style it said minimalism and then next to originality it said some <laughs> yeah and i was like all right fair um, but, uh, anyway, you know, so I made this tape and it was like a collection of like, um, so like right before I left Athens, I had a ensemble called nutritional peace. Okay. That was like way more in like the minimalist kind of direction. And, um, there's a recording of a large ensemble we did. It's like a double quintet plus one that we recorded on my last new year's day in Athens. Okay. Which was really, really, it was a show or a studio day. It was a show. It was like uh-huh. a, it was like a, a new, like a midday afternoon performance. That was also my going away party. And everyone was severely hungover because it was New Year's Day. It was fun. We right. had donuts and coffee. Like it was good. Uh-huh. It was a, it was a good vibe. Yeah. Um. But uh, so that's on there. And then two home recordings that I did, and then I did like one proper studio recording of a piece for. Electronic drums, two ch- no, a cello, viola, piano, and modular synth, and you know, like that kind of work of like marshalling a lot of resources for one piece of music. Yeah, that you cannot perform at will. No, you know, it's sort of like that. Looking at that realm versus like a band that gets together twice a week and like can work, go play shows. Yeah. It's like, it's sort of, it's just like a no brainer, but at the same time, yeah, I, I have, I have like, a, I have, I have one very specific idea for something that I want to do. That's going to be more of like a composition project that I'm marshalling myself. Yeah. But you don't want to talk about it yet. I'm happy to talk about what it. What is it? It's songs. Songs. Songs where I'm going to sing and like play all the instruments on the recording except for drums. Oh yeah. You can actualize that yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I want to get. A, I want to get a really good day, like a studio. I want to get mics, good mics on the drums, and I want to like rehearse with the drummer so that the drummer actually knows the material backwards and forwards. Yeah, and then build it from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a funny thing where like I'm asking, I'm like kind of like going over right now in my head because like the music's almost done. I've been demoing stuff, and I'm, the question I'm asking myself is like, do I go with the resources that I have and have it be just sound like what that sounds like? No. Book you, a day. You, yeah. Like I, 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 you know, I can maybe take this off out if you or we'll leave it in. It's up no. To you. If I were you, I would hire Brian Chase to play drums. Whoa. And I would book a day at Eastside Sound or the Bunker uh-huh. or Figure Eight. Yeah. And as you said, get drum sounds that are un, undeniable. 
Right. Especially with someone like Brian, who knows he's an amazing interpreter of music. He will tune his drums to the key of the song. Mm -hmm. He will sound like what you need it to sound like. Yeah. And then home record whatever you need to home record right. with one good mic, one good preamp. Yeah. And then maybe do the vocals back in the studio. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe whatever, you know, think if you have, if you have to record strings, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe do it some afternoon at, you know, a place that won't break your bank. Right. But get those good drum sounds. Right. And then the rest of the record will sound fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. And so like, but that, even that is going to take, you know, some hours like logged at jobs and yeah. stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's something that, I mean, I'm still like, there's like tour dates yet to come this year. And so like, and you know, that kind of like shifts the economics. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I did, wait, you put out, a, I didn't realize until this morning, you put out a solo record. Yeah. A solo sax record. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. That's recent. Yeah, it came out in October. And how long was that brewing for? No, um, it was really spontaneous. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I um I booked a job uh doing art handling in the Palisades. Uh-huh. And I rode my bike from Ridgewood up the West Side Highway Ooh. to um Washington Heights. It's a long ride. And I got picked up um by a guy in a U-Haul who I barely knew and we like went to Jersey and did this art handling thing. Uh-huh. And then um I got dropped off back in Washington Heights and I rode my bike and I like pulled over at 86th. There was like a tunnel right there. On the west side? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I recorded myself playing in the tunnel. No. But when did the idea, like did you bring recording equipment with no. you? No. Would you use your iPhone? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but the idea to record the, the record happened as you rode past the tunnel? I guess I think I was just going to record myself playing. Yeah, and then I listened to it later, and I was like, "This is good. This is this is what I want to put out. This is what I yeah. want my first solo saxophone album to be." Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I there's been a lot of talk on this show about like the solo thing. Yeah, man. And it's hard, and it's like, what are you going to do? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I hoped I have another idea for another solo saxophone record that is going to be the exact opposite. Uh -huh. Where I'm writing through composed pieces that yeah. are going to be with zero improvisation. Yeah. You know, um, and I'd like to record that really well, et cetera. But I kind of wanted to put this one out as like, I'm I'm just going to do this. Yeah. Because I, I feel proud of it and I'm happy with the where I've gotten. Because, you know, it's a really, it's like kind of a dumb thing to like try to master an instrument at like 28. You know what I'm saying? Or like to like build... Or I don't know. Maybe that's maybe maybe that's not the right word to use. Maybe I shouldn't call it dumb. Or like it's the kind of thing where it's like I think this is my received wisdom happening again. Where it's uh -huh. like you either do it when you're young or you don't do it at all. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. And so I've had this like idea of like, wow, this is a move. Uh -huh. This is a move. Saxophone. Uh -huh. Now, <laughs> now, saxophone. I mean, you know, at least it's not violin. Right. Yeah. 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 It could be oboe. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. And so like, um, I just sort of like, it's it's been like. You know, uh, woodshedding and like uh -huh. dealing with that and like being annoyed with yourself and uh -huh. like being frustrated and, you know, going through all kinds of ways of feeling about it. So it felt really good to just do something, um, to do something really spontaneous. Yeah. And I mean, the field recording aspect of it is fucking awesome. 
Yeah, like, I mean, you should, you should have some. I just, you know, I, I, yeah, you're right. There has been a lot of talk on the show about, like, you know, what are you going to do for your solo thing? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can think of a record that came out a couple of years ago, a solo record by a notable musician, and it was their first solo record. And I, in my opinion, aesthetically, it was an absolute failure. They didn't see it that way, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think there should be some, a solo record should be A, a bold statement. Yeah. It shouldn't just be like, you know, a half-hearted statement, mm-hmm. but it should have something to it that is specific to it. Yeah. Like recording in a tunnel in Central Park. Yeah. That, to me, is a perfectly fucking awesome way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 think, that, I think that if I would for me and my personality, if I'd worried about when it was perfect, it would have never come out. It would never happen. Yeah. Yeah, at some point you just have to pull the trigger. That's yeah. So and you know, I was talking with uh, Jesse DeRosa, uh-huh. uh, who put it out on Big Tapes, and I was like, I don't know, I'm thinking about doing this. And he was like, Dude, let me, I'll, I'll put that out. Yeah, and that, that was it. Good. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, I, I'm excited about like trying to do something that's like the complete opposite. Where like I don't know. I mean, do you listen to a lot of like solo instrumental recordings of like like compositions? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. Like I, a lot of them are pretty boring, right? Like I, I want to write. I've been writing stuff that I'm hoping will kind of like escape new music language and vocabulary a little bit. You know what I mean? For the saxophone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I. Yeah, what's the nice way to say this? Like, just avoid the Evan Parker thing. Hmm. Evan is the greatest ever. Yeah. A lot of people do their Evan, and it's just not, in my opinion, I don't, I don't think it's that interesting. Yeah. Also, no one can do it. Right. Besides so him. don't do it. Right, right, right. But people do very sanitized versions of it. Mm-hmm. People do very, like, piss-poor imitations of it. Yeah. You know? it's That, to me, honestly, anytime I think about doing something solo, the first thing that pops in my head is, like, this can't be an Evan thing. Right. You know? Like, that's the challenge. It's like, yeah. do something besides what Evan does. I mean, you know, I, I definitely loved, like, the early Z's stuff. Yeah. And, like, Alex Minchek, like, his writing for saxophone. Yeah. And, like, that is sort of, like, I wouldn't say it's the opposite of what Evan Parker's done, but it's a, definitely a contrast. Yeah. that you get something that's, like, whereas, like, Evan, I don't know, I don't, I'm not really good at this kind of visual language, but, like, whereas, like, Evan Parker's music has, like, this, like, cascade of color that's happening, like, Alex's music is more, like, blocks yeah. of, of form. Yeah. You know? And, like, that really appeals to me. And so, like, I, I think in trying to write something, like, I want to do something that's just, like, solid tone happening, like, not a lot of, like, like I can't even do the, what do you call it, like, the tongue slap? I can't do that shit. Really? You know? So it's, like, yeah. I'm just, well, I mean, that's, it, tongue slapping is, like, slap bass. Like, it doesn't yeah. really need to exist. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever heard it and been like, damn. <laughs> damn! <laughs> But, Personally, but uh, are you familiar with this uh, sax player called Ryan Muncy? Yeah, sure. Have you? Did you hear that record he did? Solo record of like James Tenney compositions. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. Total like total mastery of the instrument. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Total mastery of the instrument, and Rules. and it's like a solo saxophone record that you haven't heard before. Right. Yeah. Man, I saw him do a performance of a piece by um, the guy who's an elect. He's been on your show. He does computer music. He's Sam Pluto? Yes. Yeah. Sick. So yeah. good. Sam's sick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sam's sick. And Ryan's play on it was out of control. Yeah, they're both sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I'll check that out. All right. Well, what do we do? We do we cover? Do we cover everything? Um. Do you have a couple more minutes? Yeah. Because I want to. 
I want to do the reverse Nardwar on you. Can we do that really? What does that mean? So, you know who Nardwar is? The dude from WFMU? No. Or, I don't know. No, he's like a Canadian, like, um, uh, music interviewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, yes. I'm thinking of Nardwar. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you were talking about Harvey Picar on the show recently. Yeah. Are you into graphic novels? Yeah, I've got, I, I like Harvey stuff a lot. Yeah? Yeah. What about uh, Daniel Klaus? Uh, I don't know. All right. You should check this out. Okay. So that's uh, Velvet Glove Cast in Iron. Okay. Have you have you haven't checked out Daniel Klaus? I don't. What else did he do? Oh man, uh, I guess Ghost World. And, oh yeah, 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 Ghost yeah, World. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Art School Confidential. Okay. And then also he has a new book called Patience that's really really good. Okay. I was really into graphic novels a couple years ago. I read a bunch of shit and then I need. But yeah. This yeah. Is awesome. You should like that's yours. Thank you. Yeah yeah yeah. Sick. Yeah. And then like. All right, you can cut this out if you want. No, but like, this is awesome. Have you ever seen this shirt before? I don't give a fuck. <gasps> no. Yeah. Where did that come from? So this is uh, Claire Campbell, who was in Dark Meat, made these shirts for the members of Dark Meat. After Curtis passed away. Exactly, yeah. And so this is a shirt with Curtis Vorda on it. It's like this really beautiful, colorful image of him playing the sousaphone. And it's got his motto on it, which is, I don't give a fuck, never have. Yeah. Um, and on the back, it's got all the members of Dark Meat oh listed God. on it. And Is that um, for me? Yeah, man. Thank you, man. Yeah. Curtis was my best friend when I was a teenager. How did you meet him? Uh, there's a lot of weird rap around there, but um, we went to the same middle school. And Curtis was two years older than me, but when I was in sixth grade and he was in eighth grade, his his best friend committed suicide his name was Damien and uh, that summer we met one night it was really weird we met one night where uh, I, I don't we were just, there was just a bunch there was this place where a bunch of teenagers like bad kids would hang out mm-hmm. and we met there and I was a bad kid and he was a bad kid and we got this idea to steal um, first we stole a shopping cart from Target and then we decided to steal uh, this like gigantic granite bus stop post. I don't know how to explain it. It's like a like, 200-pound like, stone bus stop. We dug it out of the ground uh-huh. and hoisted it into this Target uh, shopping cart. And we spent, we, until the sun came up, we walked it over to a mutual friend's house and dropped it off on his front porch. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and right. we were inseparable for like a solid like five or six years. Yeah. Man, wild. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a special person. How, so how did you? So I know Curtis played in Dark Me. That's where you met him. Um, yeah, and we played in other groups too. Um, we were in a band called Mouser. Um, right. And you know, I mean, there was like this like compound of this like DIY space called the Secret Squirrel. Yeah. Um, and then there were two apartments where people were always like kind of like in and out over there. And you know, Curtis was just sort of a fixture. Yeah. You know, really wild person. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder about Curtis. Like, um, well, I don't know how much I should say. Uh, he, you know, he he had like a pretty tricky upbringing, mm-hmm. which is, you know, like a lot right. of, like, oh, yeah. He, like his, his mom was, I mean, she, the poor lady has like had it really bad. Right. Uh, his, his younger brother, who's still around, is, you know, perpetually in very severe trouble. Yeah. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. Uh, so she's, you know, she's had a rough go of it, but she, you know, she didn't make his teenage years easy for him. Yeah. And I wonder what, I mean, you know, he died 
2016, he had a brain aneurysm. Yeah. So there's, you know, that happens. There's no, like, you can't really attribute it to anything, I don't think. I think it's pretty chance when that happens. Yeah. Uh, but I do wonder what his life would have been like had he had a more supportive home. Yeah, he certainly was reacting to that, I guess. But also, like, there was, like, I don't know. I think he would have been a really warm lunatic, probably, no matter what. You know what I mean? Just because, like, the, like, a very warm person. You know no, no, I mean? no, 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 yeah. I, I, have, I have regrets about the way I handled my friendship with Curtis. Okay. Like, we were super close. And I'll, I'll, I mean, fuck, I'll keep this in. I don't give a shit. Uh, there was one night we went to go see, <laughs> see Mr. Bungle. Mm-hmm. And we ended up hanging out with the band after the show, which was like a huge deal to me. Right. And he did something kind of crazy. Like he took a, gla- like a couple of glass bottles and threw them against the wall and yeah. smashed them. And all the guys in the band were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And I got super pissed at him. And our friendship sort of like deteriorated from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like over the years, like we rekindled it. But it was just never like with that, that closeness again. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean... That's, I I could see where I could see being I could see reacting that way to something yeah. like that, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, also I mean I don't know. I don't. I never knew him as someone who held grudges. No, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I hope you don't. Uh, well, but it's like when we said at the start of the show, it's like when so when your friend dies, like even so, you know, we I'd see him every couple of years before he died. Um, but it was actually. Jim McHugh, yeah, he's like, hey, I don't know if you know. He got in touch with me to let me know when, when Curtis had his aneurysm. But yeah, the second he he was gone, like I felt something inside me. Like yeah. I still like, I, it's just like there's something dead there. Man, I mean, that's that's just gonna happen. With, yeah, you know, when people were close with the first band, I had a band. Yeah, and it was a band that I put together, and Curtis, I wanted Curtis in the band, mm-hmm. so I was like, you're gonna play bass. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't play bass. I had a bass. You're gonna play. It. Craig played guitar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, my friend Mitchell, who's still around, played drums. Um, but I just saw a picture of it, like a, of that band, and it's like, well, half that band is dead. Is that how? Like, I'm not that. I'm only 39. That's some Athens shit. Maybe is I don't it? know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I. Yeah, maybe that's why I have a thing about not having bands. <laughs> yeah, sure. I never thought about that before. Um. Well. I brought these things for you yeah to say thank you for yeah. yeah because not only is the podcast great but also like playing with you at cine yeah it was a very brief thing it was a really brief thing but it was like you know you asked me before about like how i went from being someone who's like playing like punk rock math yeah. rock from being someone to impro- who improvises that was like that was like a pretty crucial moment for yeah. me yeah yeah i mean i don't know how much you remember but like I interviewed you for Flagpole yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah. your string quartet plus electronics, yeah. I think. And then I came to like hang out and you were like, Do you wanna do you wanna play? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I was that. like and I was like, Well, I the journalistic uh, and you were like, <laughs> right. all right, whatever. And I was like, No, I'll get my horn, I'll get my horn. <laughs> and right. yeah, like you, me and John Fernandez. Yeah. And uh Jeff Jeff Reader or uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I forget I can't remember the drummers right now. Yeah. But yeah, like that was like I think one of the first like settings where I tried doing something like that. Yeah, and it was really really fun. Yeah. And I look back to that as like a key thing. Oh, I'm glad, man. Yeah, yeah. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And New York's been good to you, right? You're, yeah, it's tricky. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah, 
All right, well, man, that actually that T-shirt right behind you is for you. On what? The chair. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. What? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, five oh four nine. <laughs> is, me, is medium okay? Yes. Yeah, I figured it was okay. Oh wow. Yeah. Thank you. Well, this has been great, man. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you, Jeff. Yeah, man. Thanks. All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. That was my conversation with saxophonist Jeff Tobias. That la- the, uh, those last few minutes were a little tricky for me. It still hurts like a fucking bastard when uh, when you lose someone who was that important to you. But Jeff is a fucking soldier. He's a warrior. He's out there. He's doing it. He's pushing. As he said himself, he's a foot soldier. We need more of those. We need more people who will look down, do the work, and... You know, not be constantly intoxicated by the prospect of stardom. Is that is that too much to ask for? Check him out. Go to jefftobias.net. And that's it. Uh, we'll be back next week. Next week is another good one. Until then, uh, I hope you guys are all cool. Hang in there, baby. All right. Bye.